I assume as president of Kenya. A chicken seller who became a successful businessman, a politician who rose to the presidency. William Ruto was officially declared president of Kenya after narrowly winning the election in August. The results were challenged by his longtime rival, Raila Odinga, who alleged vote rigging and a compromised electoral system. But Kenya's top court upheld Ruto's victory, dismissing the petition to nullify the outcome. While it's widely considered Africa's most stable democracy, Kenya has its fair share of burdens. I'm James Bayes in New York, and it's here that the newly inaugurated President Ruto delivered his first address to the UN General Assembly. And that's where I caught up with him to discuss some of the challenges facing his country, from the deep ethnic divisions to a flailing economy, the threat of armed groups and the worst drought in decades. The Kenyan president, William Ruto, talks to Al Jazeera. Dr. William Ruto, president of Kenya, thank you for talking to Al Jazeera. You've only just been uh, sworn in as the fifth president of your country. Let's look back at the election. It was largely peaceful, but it was also extremely close. 14 million votes were cast. There was just, I believe, 200,000 votes between you and the other candidate, the veteran politician Raila Odinga. A disputed election, but then the Supreme Court backed the result and backed your victory. But you've got a country divided almost 50-50. How do you bridge that divide now? I think to say the country is divided is not the right words. I think what we are saying is everybody has a role to play. There will be those of us that I lead that will be leading the executive. My competitors will be doing an equally important responsibility for the people of Kenya by providing oversight over the government that I will set up. So they too will be participating in the governance of our country. And the government of Kenya is the government of Kenya for all people. Whichever way they voted, whoever they voted for, they have a government that will serve them equally. I've been reading lots of profiles about you. They all say you're very hardworking and determined, but also tough and sometimes uncompromising. And you've read these same things I've read. Some people are speculating you might have an authoritarian streak. So are you the right man to build consensus? <laughs> I think I have a history of building consensus and majority of the people who have worked with me have come to appreciate that yes, I am firm, I am determined, I am focused and uh, is the only reason I have gotten myself here by being resolute, determined and focused because unless you are that firm, you can't get nothing done. But the consensus I have built to win this election should confirm to you and all that I am a consensus person. I wouldn't have put together the team that gave me the opportunity to win this election. We said the election was largely peaceful, but you remember 2007, a very bloody election. Over a thousand people were killed. And I don't have to remind you that after the violence, you were indicted by the International Criminal Court. And we have to say those charges of crimes against huma humanity, they were all later vacated. But I'm asking you now whether you worry that that affects in some way the way members of the international community might view you now. 
Well, um, the members of the international community are knowledgeable people, or so I expect. Um, and the law in Kenya, and I guess it's the law, universal law, is that allegations can be made about anybody. And allegations are allegations, and they are proven. And if allegations are not proven, then it means they just remain rumors and uh, insinuations. Uh, the people of Kenya, um, I didn't get here by any other means, but by choice. The people of Kenya went to the ballot in 2013, chose President Uhuru and myself as his deputy, the same thing in 2017. I ran in this election. The people of Kenya know me that well to make a choice as to what kind of a person I am. I know uh, the international community may carry a bit of that baggage, but I think over the years, many of them have come to realize that I am not the person that was being described in those judges. In your election campaign, you differentiated yourself from other political figures in Kenya. The former president Kenyatta, who was the son of Kenya's first a founding president, and your opponent, Raila Odinga, who was the son of Kenya's first vice president. And you made the point that you came from a very humble background. You were selling chickens as a child. I think I read you got your first pair of shoes at the age of 15. How does this background, how's it going to affect the way you're going to govern? My background gives me the worldview understanding, if I may say it, of um, what the issues are and by virtue of um, the opportunity I have gone through leadership at, as a member of parliament, as a minister before, as a deputy president, it also gives me a vantage point on solutions to the challenges that face our country. Your campaign clearly cut through. It was a great success. But now perhaps the difficult bit. You were. Um, riding a wave of high expectations. Now you've got to deliver. And you have been come to power at a time when the economy, not just in your country, but around the world, is in dire straits. You're facing a global fuel crisis. A global fuel crisis. I agree. President Kenyatta has put subsidies, when he was president, on, mm. on, on, to, to try and support people with, with food and fuel. Are those sustainable economically much longer? They're not, and that's why I removed them. In fact, the whole subsidy regime was a drain on our uh, development resources. Uh, over the last three, four months alone, we spent 140 billion Kenyan shillings on subsidy. When I came into office, uh, the first assignment I had was with the energy sector. And I looked them in the eye and asked them whether this was going to go on, because we were spending 16 billion shillings, money we didn't have every month on fuel subsidy. I put a stop to it, and the people of Kenya understood that it wasn't in their best interest to continue with fuel subsidies. Um, there are a couple of other things. I made a commitment, for example, that we are going to enhance the financial independence of our judiciary so that we can better place the country at a vantage position for investment where commercial disputes could be decided upon in the shortest time possible. 
I appointed six judges that were outstanding. I have had a discussion with our judiciary and we intend to expand the scope of independence of our judiciary so that they can do more with the resources that they have. And now they don't have to depend on the executive. They have their own independent budget. I did the same with the police. For a long time, the police were dependent on the office of the president. And what officials did was if they didn't want a certain case to be investigated, they didn't provide resources for it. I have now, uh, in the last two weeks, I have removed the budget of the uh, police from my office, and now they run an independent budget, an independent mandate. They can investigate whatever cases they want. They have to deal with security in the manner in which they figure out, and my government will be there to support them. We are making changes, some of which do not even require financial resources. There is a lot that we're going to change. I have just told you, next week, we are going to rework the whole credit rating system because the current one is all or nothing. You're in or out. And we have 15 million stranded, 15 million Kenyans stranded because of a simple decision that can be made to change, to keep the uh, credit reference bureaus, but change the scoring mechanism so that it's not all or nothing. There is a lot that we are going to achieve just by changing policy, not necessarily even going to look for additional resources. Re-engineering the use of the resources we are already using so that we can get best value out of it. As you know, the region is facing a very ser serious humanitarian situation, which is the drought, the worst drought for 40 years. There's talk of famine in Somalia, Ethiopia. What about northern Kenya? Are you worried? We have 3.1 million Kenyans in northern Kenya that are in dire need. In fact, we have had to reorganize our budget so that we can deploy resources for food relief in those, in, those, in those areas. They have not harvested the last four years. They've had failed rains for the last four seasons. 70% of their livestock they have lost. And therefore it is a real serious situation. That is why Kenya is championing, is providing leadership on matters to do with climate change because we are living it every day. We can see it on our faces every day, the effects of climate change. And uh, that's why uh, Kenya will be looking at COP27 to provide um, the framework where uh, financing for climate adaptation, for climate mitigation. 13 years ago, pledges were made for uh, $100 billion every year. Nothing has been forthcoming. I think it's time for us to have a candid conversation with our partners, with the international community, especially those of us from the continent of Africa where we are bearing the brunt, the brunt of um, the effects of climate change without any support. I was uh, asking the multilateral financial institutions to rethink because many countries are reorganizing their budgets to provide for climate 
change effects rather than their development. Even areas like education and health are beginning to suffer because you have to direct resources to keep people alive, to provide food, to provide water. And, and so that, that's no longer a very simple matter. That's why those of us from the Global South, specifically from Africa, want a real candid conversation on climate change and how we can deal with the people that are affected, how we can deal with the situations that are emerging, and the reality that we have to live with every day of people who are in dire need. Let's talk about Kenya's relations with other countries in the region. And just across the border in Somalia, the effects of the drought are really severe. There, they've had a peaceful transfer of power. I think many in the international community weren't expecting that. And you have Hassan Sheikh Mohammed uh, back as the president there. He's done the job before. He's ruled out talking to Al-Shabaab and wants to defeat them on the battlefield. Um, your country had lots of involvement. They had lots of troops in Amisom, the African Union force there. But you also had really tense relations uh, with Somalia at various points. You had a maritime dispute. Is the new president someone you can do business with? I have already had two meetings with President uh, Hassan Sheikh. I think he is a much more progressive, much more positive person, and he's much more committed to fighting terrorism. And he has our full support. We are asking other partners that are with us in Somalia. We have a huge contingent of um, Kenyan soldiers um, and, and, and other personnel. And it, it's not a simple thing because we are, be, we are paying a huge price for the war against terrorism that's going on in Somalia and the fact that we don't have a functional government in Somalia. And therefore, it's in our best interest, in our economic interest, in our security interest to make sure Somalia works. And I think President Hassan gives us the best possible chance and um, the maritime dispute and all that aside, you know, those are not exist existential, you know. We can always sort out our maritime, you know, boundary uh, disputes in a peaceful environment. What is of priority to Kenya now is not the maritime dispute. It is stabilizing Somalia, making sure that Somalia is functional, having functional security uh, arrangements so that we can pull out our, our, our troops, manage our own country, and then we can do what neighbors do. We can always engage and find solutions to the challenges that face us as neighbors. Another country facing real trouble, drought, but also more conflict is Ethiopia. Uh, you appointed your predecessor, President Kenyatta, to continue in his role as a mediator. That's interesting. I mean, he didn't even support you to be president. Why do you think he should stay in that role? I am now the president of Kenya, I'm the big brother now. So, and uh, it is in my place to work with him. I think it's the right thing to do. I will not allow negative energy to be built around our country. I do not want um, any, it was a competition. Um, uh, president Kenyatta had a candidate. His candidate did not win. I beat uh, his candidate. That's, um, that's, that's a democratic process. That's behind us. Uh, we now have a, a country to, uh, to govern, and we have a region to look after. 
And I believe President Kenyatta can bring value. President Abiy Ahmed, who of course won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2019, but he gave up on peace efforts and has been commanding a war now in recent years. Do you think for a lasting peace he should perhaps step aside now? I think that's not a decision that can be made in a place like here. I think matters of governance are much more complicated. They are not as straightforward as people look or as people watch from a distance. I think President Abe is still a major, will still play a major role and will be a stabilizing factor in that region. And I think we need to work with him, work with his teams for the eventual resolution of that, uh, of, of that conflict in that region. I'd like to quickly also touch on the Democratic Republic of Congo because President Kenyatta is going to have a role there. You have got this East African standby force which is going to go there. I'm told as many as potentially 12,000 troops and Kenya is leading that. And yet there's already a UN force there. Isn't there a danger of confusion, duplication and, and, and alienating the local population by putting this new force in there? I think the decision to have the East African standby force was made in consultation with the UN. So there wouldn't be any possibility of any conflict. Kenya is contributing troops to the UN force in, uh, in DRC, but we are also contributing troops to the uh, East African standby force. Are you the, worried, the, one, you, as, you, as you start your job, you're committing your soldiers to a new war. They fought for so long in Somalia. Does that in any way worry you? It is our neighborhood. We have, no, we have no choice. I mean, we wish this could be done by somebody else. But if we don't get involved, it will get to us. The conflict in uh, Somalia is a Kenyan conflict by and large. The challenges we have in Eastern DRC are Kenyan challenges by and large. Eastern DRC is served out of Mombasa port. I think 50% of all imports, exports go through uh, our country. Uh, we have a commercial relationship. We have, uh, we're neighbors. These are not responsibilities we can run away from. Therefore, peace in DRC Congo, peace in Somalia, is equals to peace in Kenya. In any case, it is said, no one is, no one is safe until we are all safe. So on that principle, uh, Kenya will always be available to deploy uh, support, including troops, in our region to keep our neighborhood safe. There are so many armed groups fighting in Eastern DRC, uh, but the one that's come back is M23 in the last year or so. And now, you know that the government of the Democratic Republic of Congo are blaming Rwanda. They say Rwanda is backing M23. Have you looked at those claims? Do you think it's true? I've had occasion to um, have a discussion with President Shisekedi, and I've also had an occasion to speak to uh, President Kagame. I think President Kagame has been forthright that they have nothing to do with M23. 
uh, there are other people who think otherwise. But we do not want to engage ourselves in blame game and finger pointing. We have to get our hands on it and sort out the issues. And the good thing is that both President Kagame and Felix Chizagedi are committed to making sure that we sort out that problem as a region. And that's why all our countries are contributing troops to stabilize that region. The Nairobi process, chaired by President Uhuru, has made a lot of progress in making sure that this process has, uh, uh, is brought to the table. Uh, actors in that conflict are brought to the table. And my government will ensure that that process comes out with the results. We are going to commit resources, we are going to commit uh, personnel, we are going to ensure that uh, that process, working with other uh, partners, I have already had a discussion with uh, Secretary uh, Blinken, and we are in consultations on how to move those processes forward so that we can stabilize that region, so that we can also deal with the challenge of terrorism and, and, and extremism that comes with instability in, in our neighborhood. We've discussed issues in Kenya, issues in your region, but currently Kenya serves on the UN Security Council. So to end the interview, I'd like to ask you about the one issue that's dominating international affairs, and that's the war in Ukraine. And there seems to be a difference of opinion. There are some in the global south who say it's now time to stop this, it's time for a peace deal. And there are others, particularly Western countries, saying you can't compromise now because Russia is base breaking the basic rule of the UN Charter, which is one country cannot invade another country. Where do you stand? Whatever the proposition, we must bring the conflict to an end. Even the if Russia benefits from the, its aggression? The, the position of Kenya is that we need a peaceful resolution, a mechanism that will bring the war to a stop, because whatever it is, we are all bearing the brunt of what that conflict portends for us. High food prices, we cannot access fertilizer, we cannot pay for fertilizer, transport for uh, commodities, cereals, fertilizer, is all, is, is all clogged up with, with the sanctions around it and, and with everything else that come with it. Our position is that in a war there is no winner and there is no right or wrong. I think the most important thing is for us to stop the war, let us get ourselves fast uh, to peace, then the other processes can follow. We can, we can then discuss who did what, what was right, what was wrong. But I think in the context where we are today, with high food prices, with global challenges of uh, fertilizer supply, with global challenges of uh, cereal supply, with people faced with drought and famine in many areas, with the challenges of climate change, we do not have the luxury to be uh, pious, you know, to say, oh, I am right, he's wrong and this and that. I think we need fast things fast. Let's find a mechanism to stop the war. We can do other things later. President William Ruto, 
Thank you for talking to Al Jazeera. Thank you very much, my brother.